0: questions than anybody else now it's insane we'll never get through them thank you Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's the third Friday of the month, which means it's time for the Doctor is in Q and A with Doctor Ron Weiss, where he answers your questions if you send them in in advance. And the way to do that is just to go to ChefAJ.com and be a subscriber, because every weekend, either Saturday or Sunday, we send you an email. Telling you the schedule for the week, and then you just respond to it. If it's anonymous, make sure you put that in the first thing. But remember, we only use first names anyway. So if your name is Bob, they probably won't know it's you anyway. Please welcome Dr. Weiss back. It's always good to see you. You're so busy. You do this like literally on your lunch hour.
1: Yes. Yep, I do, and uh, you know, I'm I'm I do it from my office here. The office is in the middle of the growing fields, I know you, you can't see outside of this room, but there it's a regenerative organic 342 acre farm and one hour west of, of Manhattan. So it's the closest farming community to Manhattan. And the exciting thing is that Chef AJ, a month ago, we were finally, every one of our fields was got our organic certification. Not only the stuff, the fields we were growing our food on, but the rest of the farm was also organically certified. And that is an amazing achievement for us because when we got here 10 years ago, it was just, you know, a lot of um, GMO corn, Roundup, a lot of chemicals. And, uh, you know, without a lot of machinery or we managed to turn all this land organic and regenerative. So we're very proud of that.
0: So I'm I'm
1: broadcasting to you from the center of this.
0: this It'd be so cool if one day you could take out to the farm and show us the farm.
1: Would you like to do that someday? Maybe like in the spring? Yes. When it's not so chilly. I, I think people would love,
0: wouldn't you guys love to see his farm? I know some of you have been there for farm days and loved it. I would love to see that, you
1: know? Yeah. Maybe we can even like do, if you want to do a little segment like on seating like inside our greenhouse show you what's going on how we do that or yeah
0: yeah that's amazing And so
1: the other thing is that i wanted to tell you about i know last time i was just wearing this because without the white coat because you know i it's it's cold here it's not in my california and so we tried to uh be energy efficient so I walk around underneath you said you don't look like a doctor so I wear my scrub underneath that and then I put my Patagonia I love this it's not an advertisement for Patagonia although they do have a regenerative uh alignment um but I love it it's so warm so I was walking around that and he said oh you don't look like a doctor where's your coat so that's why I put (laughs) this on today and it reminded me of when I was a little kid I used to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, It was a new show when I was like in the, how old was I? Maybe in the late 60s, because I was born in 62. So it came out in the late 60s. And I remember he used to begin the show by taking off his, his jacket and taking off his tie. And then he used to put on his work clothes for my neighborhood, which was like this cardigan with a button-down sweater is a comfy sweater. And so I did my Mr. Rogers transition for you today.
0: You know, you kind of remind me of Mr. Rogers.
1: <laughs> I'm not that nice.
0: Really? Okay, well, cool. You know, you're getting so many questions. We have a backlog. We might have to do a ron one day. A ron is where like we okay, just- you got it. You know, three hours try to bless right. All right. So let's jump into it. This first one is from Jerry. And she says that some blood test ACE was high and the doctor suspects sarcoidosis, but they can only uh, confirm it through a biopsy, which is a risk for her. And she has no symptoms. He wants to put her on high doses of steroids for several months, but she doesn't want to get fat and osteoporotic. Is there any other solution?
1: (laughs) Yes, there is. (laughs) (laughs) yeah have you ever dealt with patients with sarcoid
0: i i you know i i don't think i've ever heard of it maybe you could explain what is sarcoidosis
1: So, sarcoid is this weird it's sort of like um it's like if you went to a museum and you see everything is like a a like here in new york gesundheit we have like the Museum of Natural History and you have the North American Hall and you have this hall. Everything is arranged. Like you have cardiovascular diseases, you have musculoskeletal diseases, you have, you know, cancer diseases. And then this sarcoid is sitting all off by itself in its own department. And for years, nobody really understands like why or where or what its causes. But I suspect that it probably is like an autoimmune disease Mm. and what happens is you get the formation and if you go even if you go to sarcoid experts uh, they'll tell you we don't know why you have it but um it's it's a disease of uh, what's called non-caseating granulomas um, um, so basically what happens is you get start getting the formation of little blobs of scar tissue all over your body um, and these um, little scar, little blobs end up being can be in a wide uh, uh, area, uh, d- spread across a wide area. Uh, some of the most popular areas are the lungs.
0: Yeah, that's, that's where it. she says she has it. Yep.
1: Right. And that's why pulmonologists or lung specialists oftentimes take care of most of the sarcoid patients. It is most, but it can also go into your liver. It can go in there. I've seen sarcoid of the heart. It can go into other organs of your body and basically uh it can it can be very mild but it can also destroy your lung function uh it can i've seen people need lung transplants because of this in their most severe form and the way we diagnose it commonly the easy way to diagnose is by getting an angiotensin converting enzyme level. It's an enzyme yeah. level in your blood, an ACE level. ACE. Right,
0: and she said that hers is seventy two, and normal is nine to sixty seven u over l. Right,
1: so that tells you it's a little bit over, mm-hmm. and that, and so then if they do a biopsy, and you see the biopsy is the gold standard for because you can see this this quality, the non-caseating or non-rotting sort of, it has a special look under a microscope. And once you get that, then you know, yes, you have this disease. So um, the bottom line is the main treatment is with blasting people with high doses of steroids. Um, And that does usually work up front. Um, However, you know, you're, you're, Your audience member is right. Taking high doses of steroids for long times can suppress your immune system. It is a major cause of osteoporosis and thinning out of your bones. So I prefer, and if there's anyone listening, uh, including this person, um, I would love to develop a series of patients who have sarcoidosis and to collect data on them, of them reversing their disease, because I I did have a patient who had sarcoidosis. Only one. Um, it was sarcoidosis of the skin on her legs. And when this person went plant based, I documented that her ACE levels they were very high. They fell to a fraction of what they were and all of her skin lesions went away. And the only other thing she did was eat plants. Now, this person did not have the sarcoid in her lungs. It was skin sarcoid, but it would stand to reason. It's the same disease, that if it worked on resolving skin lesions, it could also work work on lesions wherever they are, whether they're heart or lungs. So I would relish the opportunity to work with sarcoid patients. I think it would be wonderful. And, you know, I think it would work from my experience. So I highly recommend that this, and by the way, it works fast. So from what I remember from this patient I had years ago, um, ooh, I, I think that she reduced her ACE level, you know, within, I don't know, within a month. So it works very quickly. So um, I would encourage her to adopt a diet, a high level diet of whole plant
0: food. Right. But I have a feeling she already is because she's in this audience, you know?
1: <laughs> well, um, then the question would be, but is at, what percent of your audience members would you say are whole food plant-based shepherd? You know I, I that would be you asked me before what percent of my yeah. patients, new patients who come here and I told you, about half of them are omnivores. Only right. half of them are plant-based to some degree. How about you?
0: I mean, I can ask the live viewing audience right now. Yes, uh, please. guys, just put if just it's okay if you're not, but if if you are plant-based, just put a Y in the chat, and we'll just see.
1: And then I'm interested in the in the in the categorization of the plant-based. Maybe you could ask them: Are they vegan? Are they whole food plant-based vegan? Are they lacto vegetarians? Are they Plant forward omnivores, or are they omnivores? I'm interested because um, the bottom line is, is that I also told you that 50% of the patients who come here are already plant-based, right? And sometimes they can be some of the sickest patients we have, despite being plant-based. It depends on what kind of plant-based. It depends on the quality of the plant-based diet. And there are many levels of quality, right? Yeah.
0: I'm getting a lot of whys, a lot of 90%. And I think the 90% are, it doesn't mean that they're 90% vegan, that they're mostly plant-based, you know? Yeah. That's gonna be interesting. I wonder if fasting would help sarcoidosis.
1: Um, So the way I work with the fasting, and as you know, I've recommended it before for people, Uh, we do some of it here, but for, you know, we also uh, like to send people to Dr. Goldhammer in Santa Cruz. I'm Santa Rosa. Um, The way we work with that is uh, usually if the, I use it as a last resort in very difficult to overcome problems. And if it is an, if indeed it is an autoimmune problem, then I think, yes, fasting would have a benefit. But the fasting does not take the place of a high level of plant eating. Because what's going to happen is, if you go through all that trouble and and do a long-term water fast, and if you don't secure, first, the pattern of high-level eating, it's going to recur again. Or it could recur again. Yeah.
0: Makes a lot of sense. This is from anonymous. It's about hair loss and iron. My ferritin levels of greater than 70 or ferritin levels of greater than 70 often recommended in terms of promoting hair growth. What level of ferritin do you recommend to help hair? Mine is 11 due to heavy menses. How much do you supplement? Is there any truth to taking an iron supplement every other day for better absorption? This is interesting because most of the doctors that come on this show say that lower iron is better. I don't know why, but that's what I keep hearing.
1: I'm, I like to be more guided by the hemoglobin. So I'll explain a little bit. So um, to the audience so that they can understand, hemoglobin is the main pigment that carries oxygen. And it's, it's the business part of our red blood cells. The reason why we have red blood cells is because they pick up oxygen from our lungs and deliver it to the rest of our body tissues. So you need red blood cells. And that business part of the, of the red blood cell internally that binds the oxygen is the central mineral in there of that protein uh, pigment. It's It's based on iron. So when people bleed or have blood loss, Like if you have heavy menses or for example, if you had a bleeding stomach ulcer or some, uh, let's say you got into a mass trauma and you lost blood, guess what you're losing. You're losing a lot of iron and you may become iron deficient. And what makes red blood cells, your bone marrow. And if, your body stores of available iron go down because you lost a lot of blood. Your bone marrow will not have enough iron to make enough new red blood cells out of. And so you will become anemic. And so um, to any varying degree, I mean, there's mild anemias, A little bit of deficiency there's moderate anemias there's severe anemias where oh my god we've got to get you to the hospital because you need a blood transfusion because you're in danger of you know you have no more blood left in you so there are different ranges of anemia so what i'll do is um in general if i suspect someone may be anemic let's say because they're losing a lot of blood because they have heavy menses i will check a cbc a blood count which measures how many red blood cells they have do they have a deficiency and i may get iron levels and if you are truly deficient in iron it usually corresponds to less red blood cells which corresponds to less hemoglobin and that corresponds to anemia and anemias generally make people feel poorly. They, you feel tired. You don't have energy to do to excel at the things you want to do. And Chev Aj, a lot of uh, people who live a good lifestyle that include eating plants, exercise, right? So you can't hit your peak performance in exercise. You feel like crap when you're on the treadmill or trying to run. And of what good is that? So. What I do is when I find someone anemic, my eye is more on the hemoglobin part of the analysis. I don't want them to be anemic. And so, yes, they probably have some iron deficiency. Yes, their ferritin is probably low. You know, yes, their other iron is probably not so good, but I'll tell them basically to take slow FE, which is over the counter. You can get it yourself and just take it every day Um, if uh, you know to ensure that they're getting enough iron you know I know that especially if you're not feeling well and you have an anemia you know you could probably do it uh, I'm sure you can do it if you if you exactly calculate and construct your eating program because there's a lot of iron in foods right foods have iron and if you take this this food and then you eat it with some vitamin c containing fruits and vegetables and leaves that taking vitamin c increases iron absorption when it's in your stomach at the same time of the iron but i've learned over my years of of treating patients the most consistent, easiest thing is just tell them to take the iron supplement for a few months, whatever, let them get up and then they will restore their iron levels and their anemia, they won't have it anymore and they'll be fine. Of course, we should also try to address if possible why you are bleeding heavily. The source of blood loss should, if possible, be addressed. Sometimes it can with heavy menstruators, sometimes it can't. If it's definitely internal bleeding, like a bleeding ulcer, it definitely should be addressed. Or if you have GI losses, yes, it should be addressed. But that's the way I usually operate with iron and the blood. And yes, it is thought that too low of an iron level does can contribute to hair loss. Although in the number of people who come to me complaining of hair loss, I usually find it's a rare finding. Usually it's, it's hair loss is not usually due to iron, low iron levels.
0: Interesting. What does it do to then? usually?
1: Well, I would say, you know, when you go to medical school, they teach you when someone's complaining of hair and this is what the dermatologist does, you know, because dermatologists are experts of hair loss, right? They're the hair. Hair is an extension of your skin. So dermatologists, skin specialists, they deal with hair. The first thing you do is they'll make sure, and this is what I do too, to check thyroid levels and to check iron levels. Because if those are low, they could potentially, thyroid levels are low and iron levels, they could potentially contribute to hair loss. But I usually, it's rare that I usually find that. And I would say the number one cause of hair loss is called a telogen effluvium. Telogen effluvium is a physiologic event that occurs to your body. It's a stressor event. It is either from an illness, uh, a a, a physical happening to your body. Like for example, women who have children, they go through pregnancy. Oftentimes, they will have a telogen effluvium where all their hair or a lot of hair will fall out afterwards. Or you had a pneumonia, or you had like a hospitalization or you had a trauma, something like that. But most of it, a lot of it is psychological stress. Like you had something bad is going on with your business or your family or someone died. And that can cause a telogen effluvium where a lot of your hair follicles all of a sudden are shocked into dormancy. At any one time we have hundreds of thousands of these little pores through which hair grow through on our heads in our body. And at any one time, a certain small percentage of them are always in a rest or dormancy state. And when you have this shock to your system, whether it be psychological or physical, all of a sudden, it can throw extra numbers of like maybe double the amount of follicles that are in dormancy or rest. And when a, a hair follicle goes into dormancy, it releases its hair. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you can see people come into me saying, oh my God, I'm in the shower and I just wash shampoo my hair, clumps of hair are coming out. It, it does look like clumps and it does look like a lot of hair, but it's because excess number of hair follicles are going into the rest period all at the same time. And they can remain there as long as this stress psychological stress or physical stress is continuing for months this telogen effluvium hibernation period can go for six months it can go for nine months and go for a year but eventually what i reassure the patients in telling them is when they get over their stressful event their hair will be thicker than it ever was because um You have all of a sudden a a significant number of resting hair follicles come online at the same time and you have all this hair sprouting. So relatively, it does seem like your hair is getting thicker and it is. And uh, just from a personal standpoint, I can tell you that when I was in college and I was studying for the medical boards to get into college, I was very stressed out. And I used to have very such thick hair it was like you remember what shirley temple looked like with that mop of that's what my hair was like it was like a, a mop head of of ringulets just cascading down and when i was studying for my MCAT, my hair started to fall out in clumps too i remember my father took me to dermatologist take biotin to tar- special shampoo Nah, none of it worked but look I'm 61 years old. I still got my hair. It's okay. I know it's receding a little bit. It's not like it was, but it was a telogen effluvium from stress from study.
0: That's just crazy, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Now I would say, what is the second category? The second category, I know we didn't get this, but it's a, it's a, it's a little session on hair loss because you know, both men and women are very concerned about this right you, they, they get concerned when they're losing your hair i would say the second category is probably genetically determined hormonally based hair loss where there's just too much testosterone in the probably in the hair follicles and then that can cause patterned baldness where you lose your hair and to that you know I have not found that lifestyle will help you at all. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes some people decide to resort, and that's a personal thing. I understand it, and I support it. If people want, because of their concern, if they want to resort to some kinds of medications, because it does restore their confidence and makes them feel better, you know, things like uh, topical minoxidil or other kinds of things that can help stop that process.
0: Interesting. That, who names all these diseases? Tell, I mean, like it's almost like cartoon characters. It's like the, the names of medical Some diseases. Some egghead. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Thank you. Okay, this is an interesting question. We never got one like this before. It's about someone that's being tube fed and they have cystic acne. Where did it go? Oh, it was so interesting. I'm sorry. Uh, but, um, oh, please come back, please come back. Yeah, here it is. Um, so Susan says her 26 year old son is completely tube fed with a commercial whole food plant-based formula that he's been on for two years. And it has organic flax oil and organic almond butter. He said, she says, unfortunately, the cystic acne on his back has not cleared up. He also had blood work and has a CRP of 29.7, which will be retested in two months. Do you have any ideas for improving his cystic acne? And is a CRP of 29.7 high? Because I'm sure some people don't know what a CRP is.
1: Well, there are different kinds of CRP. I'm guessing she means a quantitative CRP. CRP stands for C-reactive protein, and it is a major measurement of inflammation in your body through your bloodstream. And uh, so the quantitative CRP is is a very common measure of inflammation that we get in people who are having autoimmune conditions and diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or conditions like that. And it's often elevated. That's really high. That's very high. So um, that means that this person has a lot of inflammation. There is a more refined kind of CRP, C-reactive protein test that shows very subtle levels, more subtle levels of inflammation. And that's called the cardiac CRP or the high sensitivity CRP. And that one is not, Key, those inflammation levels are not key to general body inflammation levels, like in autoimmune disease. They're key to your risk of developing heart attacks and strokes throughout your lifetime, and those are much lower kinds of numbers. It's a different kind of test. So that's that. That's what this test means. I would say, and of course, this is this question. This person. The, is not available to respond I'm assuming so I'll just take the information I'm giving and uh, just share a couple of my thoughts so before Chef AJ we were talking in your program that 90% of the listeners are whole food plant based yes or plant based yeah yep. but remember we talked about initially with the sarcoid there are many different levels within that category of eating and you know this right Uh, even if you look at high levels of eating right of the experts within the whole food plant-based world we have people like you we have people like Dr. Esselstyn we have people like Dr. McDougall we have people like Dr. Furman right we have people like me we are we're kind of on the same page but there are differences right there there's small differences within our level of eating and then you have different levels of adherence to qualities of the diet with within the plant based community so this person uh, referenced a plant based formula is that correct
0: yes Which, which flax tells oil me and almond
1: butter, yeah. Say it again?
0: With It has flax oil and almond butter. So those are high in fat. Could that make a difference in cystic so, act?
1: I mean, is this a commercial? Did she say it's a commercial thing? Yeah, it's
0: you- a commercial tube feeding formula.
1: Is this person not able to eat? We don't know.
0: Well, well I, I would assume so if they've been tube fed for two years, but uh, she says it's a plant-based commercial formula.
1: Okay. So um, I would, yeah, my first suspicion is that um, hmm, she didn't give the brand name, did she?
0: No, and she may not be watching right now. If you're watching um, Susan. Right. I would
1: be careful, as you alluded to right now, I would be careful of facts. So, and um, in general... Uh, I don't know what percentage of fat is in this feeding formula. Apparently, her son cannot is not able to eat for one reason or another using his mouth, and has to be fed through a tube. Um, so be careful, because generally speaking, whole food plant based is telling you if you're if you're going to be in this club, you're going to be in a low fat club right i didn't necessarily say non-fat but it's a low-fat club uh pretty low fat so we want to make sure and i don't have the quant the ingredients the exact quantities you want to make sure that if there are fats in there uh that it is overall there's a low degree of fat consumption one of the other concerns i have just from hearing this label, is that flaxseed oil, correct? Was yeah, flaxseed. Flaxseed oil, yeah. And I don't believe oil, should, I wouldn't put oil as an ingredient in a in a feeding solution. I I would put whole flax seeds that are ground up. I would do that, but I wouldn't put oils because oils are ultra processed, refined foods, and. That alone kind of makes me suspicious whether this overall, it has too much fat in it and that can cause inflammation. Mm.
0: And so, the acne too, right?
1: Yeah, well, acne itself is an, infl- it's an it's a sign of inflammation of the skin, uh, especially cystic acne. It's hugely, inf- those are hugely inflammatory lesions. So what I would try to do is, um, I would, these days, I, there are, you know, I haven't dealt with this in a while, but I did, I did look at a, if you, if you just give me a second, I'm going to try and look this up. Um, sure. To see if I can, I haven't looked at it in a while. Uh, so I I can't vouch for the ingredients. But years ago, I did use, I did recommend, we had a patient on tube feedings and uh, who was a who was a very sick cancer patient. And we did recommend something, I'm looking for the ingredients called liquid hope. That's and I'm just interesting. I'm, I'm on the website now to see what and I don't remember there being any. It was it was great. I don't remember there being any oil in it whatsoever. Nutritional questions. In, in, in any event, you can take a look at it, it. Look, Google it. It's called Liquid Hope. I can't vouch for it because I haven't seen it in many years. But years ago, I, from my memory, I believe I approved it. And I thought it was good. So may, maybe try that. And it had, did, did, do I think it was organic? It may have actually. Uh, I'm
0: looking at it. It says Liquid Hope Organic Whole Food Feeding Tube Formula and it's 450 calories no added sugar gmo free gluten gluten dairy soy corn free safe to use with people with lactose intolerance i'm trying to find what the ingredients are in I'm trying gluten.
1: to look too for clinicians here yeah it's you know, hope, resource center clinical administration continuing
0: I wonder why they don't put the ingredients yeah it's
1: odd i don't find the but it's there I over uh, the fact that they said whole, that's good.
0: Yeah, it says it's it's for people wanting to increase their daily consumption of organic vegetables and nutrients,
1: and it's organic. So I, I try and call that company and see. You, you want to stay away from the refined oils in products because whole food plant based people they're inflammatory. So um, I hope that helps.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm just weird. And by the
1: way, by the way, um, so you know, in case you're just going back to this topic, I remember I was in California a number of years ago, and I I had the pleasure of meeting the Nelson twins. Do you know them? Yes, and know? they
0: had horrible, they were they are and were actresses and models and had horrible acne, even though they were whole food, plant-based, vegan from birth, they had to go extremely low right. fat
1: to clear their so acne. So when you when you look at those pictures and you can see their pictures on the internet, right? Uh, they have pictures of them. I and mean, in their book, they wrote a book called what uh clean skin or the, yeah, the or clear, diet, skin diet. clear skin diet they and even you can you don't have to get the book you can see that you can see their pictures those are inflammatory lesions that's just not regular acne that's inflammatory cystic acne that they had and they attribute their uh the reason and okay so for the people who don't know the story they are beautiful young ladies they're identical like i can't tell them apart when i look at their picture And believe it or astonishingly, at the same time in life, when I think they were in the early 20s, they both got these horrific acne attacks at the same time. They never had them before. And when they took all the, I believe, all the fats, you know, they were, I I think their diet, um, don't quote me because I, I, you know, my memory may not be exact. So I I don't want to speak for them. But uh, you probably know because you've interviewed them, Chef AJ, when they cleaned up their diet and got the extraneous fats out, right, from oils and from nuts and other nuts and things.
0: they, They had to go extremely low fat. And I think they also went without gluten, too. I think that was one of the other things they took out.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, I would. And gluten is a it's a it's a it's a difficult and complex area. Uh, but that would be, I have had people who had other inflammatory autoimmune diseases and the one that keeps popping up in my head is psoriasis. And sometimes even eating a high-level whole food plant-based diet could not help some of these patients. It often does, but couldn't help others. But when they cut out gluten, sometimes in addition to avoiding gluten, plus the whole food plant-based, it did help them. So that maybe for this listener who writes in about her son, uh, I'd first try to get out those excess oils and fats, and if that didn't work for the acne, uh, take make sure there's the second step is make sure there's not gluten in the in the product.
0: Thanks. And said. I think that the, uh, I'll be interested to see if the, the liquid hope is gluten, but I can't not find their ingredients on the website, but I'll keep looking. And so should you, Susan. And thanks, Dr. Weiss. And this next question is from Sarah.
1: And you know what, just the gluten thing someday, I know I offered this, it's coming someday, maybe in the new year, someday, we should have a joint session somewhere, somehow with the, with the expert on gluten and wheat, which is um, bob quinn well let's do it it's your show you can
0: have it because you would have
1: so much i think don't you have a lot of people who are interested in gluten i would think so probably i mean i think i think i'm guessing uh that maybe you can ask your audience now how many people think uh, gluten avoidance you know is, is a thing for them i think there are more people who avoid gluten in the in the average American population than there are who, who have plant-based diet.
0: That could be. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: Go ahead. Absolutely.
0: Okay. From Sarah, I have burning in my stomach when I'm hungry and between lunch and bedtime. I've tried omeprazole, thomotidine, digestive enzymes, fiber supplements, apple vinegar, and countless digestive supplements of high quality. I'm unable to gain weight. I'm 5'4 and 95 pounds. It's really impacting my life. I eat whole food, predominantly plant-based. Any thoughts? We usually get the opposite problems.
1: Yes, you know? we do. Yeah. Because just right up front, Chef AJ, I don't know what your experience is. Mike's, ex- and I would like to hear your experience, You know, GERD, stomach acid and esophagus acid problems are probably one of the number one things we see patient coming in with. And I do not remember a patient who could not overcome their problem completely. By going whole food, plant based. What is your opinion on that?
0: Well, yeah, because she says plant predominant. And I always wonder what is the other, you know, because that's the thing. Without the information, what if she's whole food, plant-based, but like it's alcohol, you know, because that can be really bad for yeah. your, you. Know, so we for don't example,
1: know that- you know what I think the title of this program is? It depends on the level. What's your level of plant-based? Because it's there, you know, there are many different levels of plant-based and it, from the outside looking in, someone who's just eating whatever, oh, it's just, I'm, yeah, I'm vegan, plant based, but it does matter. Like uh, I told you before, 50% of all the people who come in here with GERD and stomach problems, they're plant based too, but they still are on a Meprazole. So, and then when they go to the uh, high level, they're not anymore and they're fine. So,
0: and then. Yeah. It'll be interesting though, if, if, you know, again, we don't know what the plant predominant is and the percentage, but it'd be interesting. What if the person just tried to go all the way for a while and see if symptoms improved? And I did find the ingredients in liquid hope, but listen to this, it has coconut MCT oil. So the, so here's the ingredients, pumpkin seed, protein, extra virgin olive oil acerola cherries lemon peel buckwheat groats coconut coconut mct oil hydrolyzed pea protein red beets cinnamon apple cider vinegar pumpkin cranberries blackberries blueberries parsley green peas turmeric sweet potatoes rosemary quinoa kale ginger garlic flaxseed oil chickpeas carrots brown rice broccoli and almonds so it it has But sweet- you see
1: and the list of ingredients what goes up front right Yeah and so it's the three- vegetables go oil. in the back and yeah. those processed oils go in front I don't remember that. I, they may have changed their formulation because I don't remember that as being hmm, what it was from what my memory years ago. Um, there are also there. I know there. There are a couple of uh, candidates on the market now. Liquid hope is not the only one, and I would just continue to strive to. Um, the other way is, you know, you could potentially make it yourself, I guess, but that would be like a full-time job, right? If you took, I mean, if I told you, Chef AJ, that uh, we were on a desert island and you had uh, someone in your house who could only be fed by tube, and you had all the food that you had, you had anything you on your shopping list, you could have. But you had to create this into a puree, like a liquid puree consistency that could be pushed through a feeding tube. Could you make a formula like this that is fully, that is full complement of nutrition that you know? Sure, you could. Right? Right? You you can yep. find vegetables, you'll cook them, you'll puree them, you'll see get seeds, you'll get nuts. I mean, you just but it would be a whole big process. That's the problem. It, it would be your work every day. And it would have to be measured according to nutritional standards. It could be done. Um, I'll tell you what. If this lady cannot find um, a prepared package, and I can tell you that Asha Gala, who is the director of our Uh, lifestyle department. She is an expert on doing this because she has done this for people in India in intensive care units. Wow. She made their feeding herself.
0: Amazing.
1: Yes. And she spent a month there with, with her relatives because there was no access to this. And she cooked all this stuff and made it into a formula and the person i remember because i was helping to consult on this it was a person believe it or not who had swine flu a 48 year old woman who was yeah, had a little like prediabetes not not a lot else a little bit overweight it was one of asha's relatives and she ended up on life support and couldn't get off she went into acute respiratory, adult respiratory uh, distress syndrome where her lungs were wider off. Remember all these people during COVID? Remember they Mm -hmm. they were dying on ventilators? She had that, but it was due to swine flu. It wasn't due to COVID. And Asha was able to get her off the ventilator with her plant-based whole foods regimen. So if this woman can't find a process, product that's a good ingredient and is interested in potentially the work that would be involved it is possible and she can call our number and ask for asha Gala. A S H A G that is so by the way guess what asha means in sanskrit
0: uh beloved i don't know hope that is so interesting yes yeah. This is fantastic. This is going to be a great resource if anyone else has this question. Now we all know that there is a way to make your own food.
1: Yeah. I love it.
0: Oh, okay, so where so, were we?
1: So we're getting back to...
0: Oh yeah, she's 5'4 and 95 pounds. She can't gain weight. She's plant predominant. But we were saying we don't know what the what the part is that isn't. And if that could be a factor, yeah. we
1: don't so know. So here's, here's the parts that I suspect. When somebody... I'm always... My ears perk up when when a patient walks in and says i'm plant based because you know um generally speaking whole plant foods are so powerful i am always surprised when people are eating them and really dedicated and don't overcome their problems i it, it's like a red flag to me is am i missing something or is this patient not telling me something so the first uh, little clue in this uh in this, um, in, in this uh, person who's writing in is that when she says predominant, so when she says predominant, it means it's not 100%. So what else could be getting in there that could cause gastric distress? Here's what could. Alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I would say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Let me back up. I'm going to give it to you in in order of the hierarchy of what i think is most likely to cause her problems you ready from my experience with patients i think alcohol and coffee either caffeinated or not caffeinated are equal head and head they're at the top of the pyramid as what could be causing her problem and i'm not saying it's one thing it's often a combination of things maybe it's coffee and alcohol maybe it's coffee and alcohol and some kind of food she's eating but those two are public enemies number one and two coffee alcohol and don't forget it's not just coffee with caffeine in it it can be decaffeinated coffee because the coffee bean they it has it has tens of thousands and at least has thousands of plant molecules or phytonutrients in it, we're not even aware of. And it's suspected that some of these molecules other than the caffeine could be increasing acid production in your stomach. So just get away from that. And don't drink green tea either. Don't drink anything that has caffeine in it. Caffeine and any form of coffee, out. Any kind of alcohol, out. And If anyone wants to write in a question about alcohol and its health, I'm kind of an expert on that. Uh, Like uh, I could speak hours on that, about the health benefits or not benefits of alcohol, whatever. If you ever find a question, I'd love to talk about that. But get away from that because it's bad for the stomach. We know that even uh, some people are vulnerable just one glass of wine can cause a gastritis. When we look into the stomach, it can be red and inflamed. That causes pain, no alcohol, no coffee, no decaffeinated coffee, uh, no caffeine drinks. Number, second level is the foods. The number, the first kind of food that I find is most probably responsible is oils and other kinds of fats. we when oils go into the stomach especially fats that are not that are refined and not complex to fiber like you have a fighting chance with seeds and nuts because you know it's all that fat is bound up and complex to things when you drink olive oil and this lady says she does right
0: she didn't say she just said plant predominant and we but don't know probably if- it is
1: because if it's plant predominant she's going to restaurants or when you go to eat out there's just oil and stuff yeah, so we just
0: don't know what the other you don't know
1: there is i mean who if you were to eat go to get a, if you were to go to a restaurant chef aj and say i'm a vegan now feed me they're gonna feed you right even if it's Even if it's a steakhouse, they're going to feed you, but there's a high chance that your food is going to come with oil in it, right? So I'm guessing there's oil ending up in her stomach. I would make a special effort to make sure there's no oil in your stomach. And until you are 100% fine, I would also make sure there are probably not other fats like avocados. Uh, Not that I think I've never seen avocados hurt anyone as far as gastritis or whatever, but we want to get you over your problem. So I would go on a fat free diet, no oils, no avocados or high fats like that for now. And that's what I would do. Uh, Whole plant foods. You know, the GI doctors will always tell you. Oranges can uh, citrus can aggravate you and give you that acid feeling distress. Tomatoes can. Members of the allium family, like garlic and onions can. I personally have never found that to be true. I, I just never. Patients come here. I just tell them to eat plants. I do not tell them not to cut out tomatoes, garlic, and I've never had them fail. What can I tell you? So it's the fat. It's the cutting out the fat, I believe, the coffee and the alcohol. And that's what I would do. And make sure you're, here's the other thing. You ready? It's now thought that, first of all, those medicines, I would try not, they're harmful. <laughs> we now know that the omeprazole, and especially the the proton pump inhibitors, like the Prilosex, nexiums, Omeprazole, the Antoprazole, They have taken for especially a considerable length of time. They can cause osteoporosis. There's now evidence they can increase your lifetime chance of having heart attacks, strokes, everything from getting sepsis, changing your gut microbiome permanently because they allow mouth organisms to seed your GI tract and start growing permanently there where they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we have stomach acid in our stomach. It's to kill off bacteria in our food from our mouth. When we chew, it drops into the cauldron of acid and those bacteria are killed. You don't want to remove the acid with these pills and then have our mouth bacteria traveling down to our colon and living there. That's not a good situation. So for all those reasons, try very hard to get yourself off these drugs. And I think you will be successful.
0: It'd be interesting uh, if you're watching, Sarah, hopefully you will. We always email the people that we've answered their questions to let us know exactly what it is you're eating, and I'll share it with Dr. Weiss next it. week to see if he was right. Okay, you're going to take off your doctor hat and put on your farmer hat for this one.
1: Okay, this- good, because I love these questions. I love food, questions about food, agriculture, organic, not organic, pesticides, Uh, Environmental living, climate change, all of this stuff. Like, what can we do to live more sustainably? So, to me, that's my biggest job as a doctor. It's not helping people individually. So, this is going to be our last question because I know I do absolutely. Okay, this is from this
0: is this is from Laura. I've tried going growing vegetables in the Pacific Northwest with very little success. A friend with a successful and bountiful garden every year told me she uses aged manure plus broken up shells from shellfish in her soil. Neither appeal to me. What materials do you use? And also, if manure is key soil ingredient, does it become something other than manure once aged for a period of time? I don't think we've ever said manure that many times on an episode.
1: Wow. Well, I could go on for an hour answering this question, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to keep it down to 10 minutes. So put on your timer. Chef AJ. You are, I know that the reason why you initially, when you were in college, became vegan is because of your concern for animals, yes? Yep. So how do you feel about using animal manures?
0: Oh, uh, well. Is that, are you
1: okay with that?
0: Yeah, because I mean, the animal had to poop anyway, right? I mean, you know. Yeah. I don't think the animal wants to keep it. I mean, except for rabbits who need to eat their own feces to survive. That's right. I, I think the animal needs their own poop. I think maybe she just doesn't like it because maybe it's stinky.
1: Well, the the problem is, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of compassionate. I want to address this issue because uh, I was once barred from ever coming back to a plant based festival a uh, whole food plant-based no it wasn't whole food plant-based but plant-based because I recommend because I talked about manures and their benefits really? agricultural soil this and you cannot you know, come what's back
0: their to. problem with it what did they want you to do what did they well want-
1: because there is a I want to make people aware and I get it I get I this is what this topic is going to be about this conversation there is a segment of the compassionate vegans uh, and, uh, and it's, I think, a significant com- segment of people who are vegan, and they do it because of animal rights issues, who, who favor not using any kind of animal manures to grow their food. And the reason why, I don't think it's because, well, I don't know, you'd have to ask them. I kind of guess it's because animal abuse is so pervasive when animals are kept that they assume that if you're using manure from somewhere, it probably came from an abused animal. Like, like, for example, this lady who says, you know, she wants to use cow manure, like where is it coming from? Right? Like, where is that cow? Like if you go, you can go to home Depot, And you can buy composted cow manure. Where did it come from? It came from a concentration camp. Probably. It came from like a concentrated animal feeding operation where they're torturing animals and they don't know what to do with the manure, so they're trying to sell it off. So I think that's, or chicken manure, you can buy that. It probably came from the cheapest, most, you know, place where they tried to, where animals are, put into concentrated conditions and their lives are poor and and they're suffering. So I think at the end of the day, that's probably why, but you began by saying, I think the idea is, is that mother nature is the greatest farmer. And this was stated by Sir Albert Howard, one of the fathers of organic agriculture because he watched mother nature providing food to human beings. And he noted that nature has a fertility cycle. And why this lady can't grow vegetables is because she is not fertile, not her personally, but her setting, whatever she's trying to do, it does not have a fertility cycle. And in order to grow successfully, you need an intact fertility cycle. And what does that mean? Boiled down. It means that death and life, death and life, death and life are in a continued cycle which are not broken. You cannot take food out of the ground and grow it and mine the earth and walk away and leave it there and not put it back. Not put... That's, that's a broken cycle. You need to take all that food or what was contained in it and put it back within the year. And that's what manures do. I'm gonna, right outside my window, there's a septic tank that empties the toilet of this office. And when I came to this farm, this building that we're in was a farmhands house. The farmers lived in here. It's still the same. It's a little wooden house. I didn't really do much to it. I opened my medical practice here. It's the same septic tank from World War II that's still operating. And the 95-year-old farmer, I interviewed her as to what she did with this manure. And did you know that until 1985, when the state of New Jersey outlawed the spreading of manure of human sewage on fields for her entire life as a farmer, she would empty this septic tank and put it on the fields. Continuing the cycle of fertility, right? We eat stuff. It goes through us today. It's flushed out into the ocean or it's put into dumps or it's, we need to get it back into the soil in some way, and manure does that. And with it, these, the manure contains enormous amounts of bacteria that create the life and support the life of the soil. You know, soil is more than just particles and grains of a sediment, uh, rock. Sand, you know, it does have some organic matter into it, hopefully a lot. But the most important part of the soil is the living beings that are in the soil. Those are microorganisms and small arthropods. And that's really what gives a delicious vegetable its taste. It will give that pepper plant to give you three times as much peppers instead of one pepper, like three pounds of peppers, because of those organisms in the soil. So that having been said, so it would seem like I'm a, a manure component. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Dr. And then she said shellfish, shells, maybe that another part. Well, that's
1: a different thing. Yeah. Shell shells from shellfish, that puts calcium in the in the soil. That's not that's not that doesn't put but microorganisms, it doesn't put complete, organic matter, it's a source of calcium. But so wouldn't You would wouldn't need to nothing. do testing to see what, I don't know what kind of soil she has. You can send off your, every state has their agricultural extension uh, service. In New Jersey, we're one of the older states. We have a land grant institution called Rutgers. They, from which I graduated as a botany degree student, they run laboratories which do low cost soil testing for the, state of New Jersey residents. I'm sure there's one in Oregon too, Oregon State or whoever they are out there. You can send off your sample of testing and they'll tell you what kind of soil is, what it's missing. But here's the beautiful part. You don't necessarily have to put manure in the soil. If you have manure, it's good. It, It will help you. And you should try to get manure that is of good provenance. In other words, it did not come from tortured animals. Other beings did not suffer in order to, to, you know, to benefit your diet, right? It did not have a lot of pesticides and chemicals in it. You know, maybe you have somebody like, for example, like Gene Bauer, okay, who has farm Sanctuary. Uh, I would take the manure from his cows any day. Like, what's wrong with taking that manure? You could, you know, so the bottom line is, you know, you can use good manure, but the, but you can make your own compost at home, which does not have any manure in it. And now we have data that, that shows you that it's fantastic. I will give you the reference if you look on the internet of something called the Johnson Sioux bioreactor johnson j o h n s o n. If you hmm. I'll tell you what Chef AJ, maybe if you can put the link on, let me tell you what it is. And if you're if you're a handy, if you have like hundred and fifty bucks, you can build your own bioreactor you can do it you basically just need a pallet and some wire and you can have your own amazing compost without even using do you have it it's under regeneration international johnson sioux bioreactor bringing the soil back to life and they have an instructor instructional video And the reason why I know this works is because we've built these bioreactors here. One pound of the material from this composting unit, which you can do in your backyard, can restore one acre, one acre of depleted soils, one pound. Guess how much this bioreactor produces? 400 pounds of compost. So that's what I would do. Um, Let me recommend a book, too, that you should start reading. You need a good organic uh, gardening book Uh, so you can become well-versed. There's a book, a very nice, wonderful book, by uh, Barbara Damrosch called The Garden Primer. Get that book, the revised version of it. It's $11 and 53 cents.
0: So Dr. Weiss though, if she's an ethical vegan, isn't shellfish not a good thing for her to be using? Is, I think that's what I'm understanding.
1: Well, to, you know, it, it my. I guess if you're scraping seashells off the beach, no. Oh, that's
0: different, yeah. but However,
1: maybe, yeah. if she's, where the sources, you always have to ask yourself, where is this coming from? If it's coming from a shrimp farm or like a clam factory where they're harvesting this stuff and then giving you the debris, then you're participating in the chain of violence. And I think that's what ethical vegans have a problem with. Here's the beautiful part, usually. Mother nature is so wise that even if you have some kind of deficiency in your soil, usually through the composting process and through growing plants on it, like cover crops, and which you will learn about in the garden primer, it just fixes itself. You don't have to go, like, you have an itch here. Instead of scratching it like this, you don't have to scratch it like this. You know, you can do the simple things I've recommended and the soil will correct itself through the cycle of fertility. It'll just be set. If you want to, you can send your soil sample off to the Oregon State, you know, agricultural extension, get it tested. But I'm not... Let me share one last thing with you. I, I told you in the beginning, we started on here our farm is one of the most historic farms in the nation. It's been a working farm continuously for almost 300 years. Before there was a bread basket in the Middle West, you know, before we started growing grains with the Louisiana Purchase, this farm and its valley was the bread basket for the colony. We grew most of the grains for the United States. Um, it's been a farm for a long time. And when we got here, even though the soils are highly, they're some of the best soils in the United States, they were lifeless and dead because of industrial agriculture of grown GMO corn and soybean here for many decades. It's just what it was. ICE did many tests on our soil and we sent it off to Rutgers many times. And we would also often try to, oh my God, oh, the cow, oh, the boron is a little bit too low this is a little bit too high or that's a little and i would try to adjust that i never do that anymore you know why because just because you can measure something in the soil a level of something like calcium it doesn't necessarily mean if it's low that the calcium is not there You may have a lot of calcium. Most of the time, people put calcium in their soil from shells or from limestone because their soil is too acidic and they want to raise the pH of it. Um, Or maybe because they're lacking calcium because they did a, a test and they said it's low in calcium. But what I have found out is, look, rocks have calcium in them. There may be just rocks of calcium sitting in your soil and your plants are not accessing them. How can you release the calcium that's locked up in your soil without putting in shells of of, uh, clams in? What you can do is build the microorganism network in your soil. Let the microorganisms break down those calcium rocks and then your plants will have plenty of calcium. And you won't have to add calcium in the form of shells. You, am I being clear? Or that's the bottom line. It's Mother Nature is such a great farmer because she does things and we don't even know she's doing them. Like every time we farm, we are aware of everything we do. Mother Nature does things that are hidden to us, but she does them and they're gifts to us. And, and we we need to have gratitude for that. So by reading the garden primer, by building your own bioreactor and reading about it, you too will become an emulator of Mother Nature.
0: And today, everything you wanted to know about manure, but were afraid to ask.
1: Yes. I have uh, to go to the bathroom.
0: Happy holidays, Dr. Weiss. We'll see you next year for some more great questions.
1: I love you,
0: Chef AJ. I love you too. Thank you so much. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in 45 minutes. We celebrate the 100th birthday of Dr. John Scharfenberg. And he's going to be giving a presentation, How to Lose Weight Forever. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.